Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Ron Granary, Professor of History at the Department of National Security and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and podcast editor of The War Room. It's a pleasure to have you with us. We are living through a major political, social, and strategic transition. Despite their manifest differences, the Biden administration, following up on the Trump administration, has embraced the idea that future American grand strategy will be built around great power competition with China and, to a lesser extent, Russia. At the same time, however, the economic and social impact of the COVID crisis and the Biden administration's own domestic priorities virtually assure a period of retrenchment in defense budgets, thereby making it necessary for the armed forces to consider how to meet these new challenges with more limited resources. This will require divestment of old equipment and reforms in budgeting, acquisition, and resource allocation. Divestment of old equipment might result in savings, but knowing how or where to apply such savings will require serious thought and planning if the United States hopes to meet and master the challenges of the future. Our guest today, Lieutenant Colonel Adam Miller, has come here to discuss both the challenges and the possibilities of divestment and allocation reform. A member of the U.S. Army War College class of 2021, Lieutenant Colonel Miller is an Army acquisition officer who most recently served as the program manager for air defense software. He has programming and budgeting experience from his time at the Pentagon and has worked closely with congressional staffers to help manage many different weapons programs in his over 10 years of program management. Welcome to A Better Peace, Lieutenant Colonel Miller. Hey, thanks, Ron. Happy to be here. You bet. So, so Adam, I mentioned a couple things in your bio, but can you explain how your career up to now has led you to an interest in this particular topic? Uh, the War College is, is a unique opportunity for uh, officers, right? Because we get to come here for 10 months and, and reflect on what we've done uh, up to this time in our career in uniform, uh, reflect on the opportunities we've been lucky enough to have. And, and I'm no different. I did the same thing. Uh, I spent a lot of time uh, researching uh, for, for my research paper here at the War College, uh, a, a uh, paper that dives deep into what it means to be, um, to do agile acquisition. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I, you know, spinning off from some of that, uh, I've given some, the world has changed, right? So, th so things, it's been a very interesting year between, uh, as you mentioned, um, you know, the change in administration to what's going on uh, with the pandemic, all kind of coming together uh, has made for some interesting reflection, I would say. Right. Well, and in your, I, I like that phrase, agile acquisition, by the way, because it means you got to know what to jump into and what to jump out of. Uh, and what to right. and what to sidestep altogether. Um, in your experience, right? We've gone through periods in the United States, certainly in your time in the Army, if not necessarily in your time as a program manager, where we've talked about the need to uh, reduce or reallocate or reorganize the defense budget. Um, is this period with COVID and with the the Biden administration is it fundamentally different, or is this just another example of an ongoing challenge? 
from your perspective. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the department has has been asked to do more with less for quite a while. This is nothing new from that perspective. We 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 as a department, um, and especially in my experience, we haven't had the budget we've requested in a while uh, for for many reasons, um, and but we've made do. Mm-hmm. Um, where we go in the future with 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 this um, will depend on on. I think you, you you touched on a key a key phrase. You know how we allocate resources going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's different than what we've done in the past, which is that concept of acquisition reform, mm-hmm. right? When you look at, uh, and we've done great reform over the last 10 years uh, from the better buying power initiatives where we, we are more efficient with contracting to how we prototyped newer capability recently with the 804 um, middle tier acquisition initiatives. Mm-hmm. And we're going to continue to do those reforms. We're going to continue to do more with less. I think what we're looking at now, to your point, is how do we change our behavior, uh, not only as a department, but in our relationships with our leaders, mm-hmm. potentially, uh, and sitting down with Congress and really hammering out long-term strategy. Right. Well, and I'm a civilian employee of the Department of the Army, so we're 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 on the same team. But I'm going to ask a civilian question, and that is, you know, a lot of people think that 700 billion dollars is a lot of money, and so if that is true, uh, you know, so the DoD's budget sure looks big from the outside. But when you talk about the need to do more with less, or when you talk about the the need to think about reallocation, uh, where are the the places where there may be money that is misallocated or that that we need to rethink does is there any kind of consensus among program managers about where that might be so but I, I would answer I, that. I, quite, by the way, yeah, I asked this yeah. question. I, my, my friends in the Air Force are, all bra- <laughs> are, are bracing for what you're probably what you might say, but you know you don't have to say it. So go ahead. No, no, not at all. It it it. Uh, um, these are different times, right? Mm-hmm. So. We have, in line with everything I've already said, we have we have come to a point where we now don't have the budget cap we've had over the last ten years, mm-hmm. uh, with the um, uh, you know the the sequestration that was initiated in 2010 2011 timeframe. So, so there's that. Uh, we we have a new domestic priority mm-hmm. uh, from, and that's been clear. That's that's in the news. Uh, as well, the services have also been clear. When you look at inflation, when you look at the defense budget, and compare that to how money uh, grows over time, uh, we're not where we wanted to be optimally, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, yes, to your question, there are strategies uh, and trades specifically where we could sit down and and have serious conversations, and I think. I think we're starting to see some of that now when you look at how the joint staff is working with uh, what we call CAPE, which is the Cost Assessment and Program Evaluation Office, uh, CAPE. And then, of mm-hmm. course, the services and how they're communicating among themselves as well. Uh, so we're seeing that communication happen uh, among those three elements. And I think uh, um, sitting down and, and utilizing their their capability-based assessment protocols and and finding new ways to sort of uh, work through some of these opportunities would be very beneficial. Mm-hmm. Well, and and since we, we talk about the, the concept of modernization, when you say that modernization can help uh, 
transform the budget or to help us to think about how to do it. What does what does modernization look like? Are we talking about simply the the improvement of the production of existing items, or are we talking about a modernization even in the way that we think about what we what we need going forward? So I think both. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, as a program manager, and this sort of goes to your last question as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of evolutionary acquisition, right? This concept, and you see it really on on aviation platforms, uh, where you are improving capability over an extended period of time, utilizing these increments, right? And that's why you see new versions of aircraft, and that's a, that's a very broad example. Open systems architecture is another one. That's a critical component of this. And so that would be how we, as an army, either integrate or interoperate with the Air Force, the Navy, and the other services. And those are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. So if I'm integrating a capability, uh, the efficiency in that is that there's one responsible service, potentially, uh, as opposed to interoperating and and working with, collaborating on the battlefield with other services. Now, the Army has been doing this very well over the last couple of years. We've established a new four-star headquarters, the Army's Futures Command. Uh, which takes a look at how we're going to design our modernization capabilities. And there are six, and we've been, we've been advertising those for a while. Uh, and then, and then again, a whole of enterprise approach, right? So how does that design and how do those requirements translate into programs of record under the Army Secretariat? And then, of course, the sustainment piece. Mm-hmm. And I think when you talk about sustainment, uh, that's there's a lot of opportunity there, as you mentioned, with divestment. Mm-hmm. Well, and let's get to the divestment, right? Because the I my memory on these things, I'm not a program manager, so I don't know a lot of these things. But I remember just when when Donald Rumsfeld decided to cancel the what was it, the Crusader artillery right. system, right. right? That was considered you know front page news because we actually had the DoD canceling a weapon system that had already that was already sort of moving along. So the idea that you're going to divest, you're going to if strategy is about deciding not only what you're going to do but also what you're not going to do. Um it's hard to decide to stop making something or to cancel a project. Um how does divestment how has it worked and how should it work in the future as we think about re uh, reorganizing or reforming the acquisition process? You know, Ron, and you touched on something that's really interesting there. Uh, so that decision was made in 2007, 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Army was occupied in 2007, 2008, <laughs> uh, and a very sp- different mission than than what some of the um, uh, modernization activities were focused on. Mm-hmm. So that in itself created a tension, mm-hmm. um, and and that tension played out in in resource allocation. And so I think that is what you saw. Uh, and and uh, today, that's what makes this an opportunity, right? Um, today, there's a clear path forward for the Army for reference modernization. We've had, we've had our legacy big five, right, that brought us through the Gulf War, brought us through the 80s. Those systems are all still in, in, uh, in, uh, in the force. The Army's been clear over the FIDEP with, you know, where, where we're going to increment, how we're going to build those mm-hmm. uh, and, and sustain those. Uh, but as you, as you, and Futures Command has got the lead on this, as you take those and you take uh, what our modernization priorities are, sitting down with the key stakeholders um, mm-hmm. on the Hill, 
especially uh, and, and crafting a long-term divestment strategy that would be a win-win mm-hmm. uh, is, is, it just makes sense right. uh, from my perspective. So for, for our audience members who are uh, not deeply versed in this, when the, the legacy big five, right? Everybody in the army knows what they are, but could tell us what they are again. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we have the Patriot missile system. Uh, we have the Abrams tank. We have uh, the Bradley fighting vehicle uh, and then two aviation platforms. And I hope I get them right, but I believe it's the uh, Black Hawk and the mm-hmm. Apache. And the Apache. And and so when you think about those, right, there is the, the Army has, as of right now, right, no plans to uh, to stop using any of those five, right? Or in the sense that they are still, they're very much a part of Army planning, Army, the Army experience. Correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the six uh, modernization priorities that the Army has, mm-hmm. uh, there are, there's a long-term plan mm-hmm. um, to, to look at uh, eventually divesting them, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this has been a long, a long, uh, a long hard road for the army, it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and divestment is also important in this point is sustainment is where all your costs. If you look at a program like any of the big five mm-hmm. uh, and carrying them as long as we have, the majority of that life cycle cost for a platform uh, is in that sustainment mm-hmm. piece uh, because technologies become obsolete uh, and, and metal becomes weaker. Right. And, and the threat changes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and um, you mentioned also working on the Hill and I'm one of the interesting challenges at the war college, uh, is when we talk about the interplay between military advice and political civilian, political authority is how do we work out those kinds of dialogues, right? So if the military say we need X, and the and the the political leadership says, well, you might need X, but we can't provide X. We have to provide some variation thereof. What's what's your experience with those kinds of discussions between congressional leaders and um, military representatives? And do you think there's anything that you would tell your military brethren and sistren um, they should understand about dealing with Congress? So. I'll, I'm going to get to that. So, sure. one of the great, one of the great facets of multi-domain operations, right, is is and and is this idea that uh, across all domains, it's a joint effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, as we move forward to modernize for for this doctrine, uh, I I believe we are going to see uh, a joint vision, mm-hmm. uh, and and we're going to nest service capabilities in a different way. Uh, and that's critical to, to I think, what you're asking, which is how do we communicate from the Pentagon to the Hill what, what those priorities are without appearing like we are uh, seeking um, service equities over the joint equities, right? There's a balance in all of that. Right. Uh, keeping in mind that, you know, the budget is a pie like any other and um, you know, th- those, those tensions just exist in our bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a, there's a larger role here. I, in my opinion, um, just as a PM who's been on that side, uh, in in the joint staff, again, working together with the entities that already exist up there, like, um, uh, the, the Cape, the, also when we look at, uh, 
what the vice chairman has said, reference the Joint Requirements Oversight Council with the JROC, uh, who approves joint requirements. Um, there's a role there to coalesce a joint message for multi-domain operations that will benefit, I think, all services. And that's 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 the message mm-hmm. uh, to the Hill. And I, yeah. Well, and you mentioned the the, the joint aspect because that's something to to think about is when when there's talk about saving money or when there's talk about modernization, there is a tendency. Uh, I don't think I'm being too controversial when I say, but a tendency certainly outside of the military to assume that modernization means the kind of whiz-bang things that the Air Force or to a certain extent the Navy provide and that the Army will always come out last in modernization because the army does the thing that uh that basically militaries have been doing forever you know taking land and so the so much so much thinking about modernization seems to be built around the ideas wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to put any of those you know if i'm going to use a phrase i hate boots on the Mm -hmm. ground and so how do we talk in the army about modernization in a way that doesn't make the army feel either defensive about its place in the future, um, but so that the army can play a constructive role in discussing modernization. Yes. So, and again, uh, the army's modernization priorities specifically have been very, very clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our top priorities, if not our number one, uh, and you've heard General Murray say this, he said it publicly many times, is long range precision fires. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to kind of get at your question, it, it's a great example of how if we look at what the army is attempting to uh, build, what capability we're attempting to implement from a force structure perspective, a hardware software perspective, in order to deliver rounds down range, uh, that's in response to a threat that has changed, mm-hmm. a threat that is very nested in strategic guidance. Um, you know, and, and in this case, it's anti-access area denial. Uh, and, and so, how we go about modernizing for something, um, let's take hypersonics, for example, right? Um, you know, we, we should, and we are, go forward and think about that also from and work with our Air Force brethren uh, who, who are uh, uh, building that same capability from just a different platform, as well as our, our, our Navy brethren. Uh, and I, and I think the, the service chiefs are working through that. Cause there is that, it's that problem with when you're talking about A2AD. So you need sort of standoff capability. It's cause you, you might have to, to, to use a bad metaphor, right? You, you're not just gonna be able to walk in, right? You're going to have to kick the door down to get there. And that, that's exactly right. right. And you want your, you, you want your, sorry, you want your commander to have those options. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Uh, that's, that's a critical piece of that is, uh, you know, our combatant commanders having uh, the options, either land, air, sea, when you look at advanced capabilities, uh, especially like long-range strike. Mm-hmm. So we've we've talked around this, but I want to get a little more specific, and that is what what are the main obstacles to successful divestment modernization acquisition reform that you see right now? Divestment historically has been challenged because there's no incentive, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in large, in, in being honest, uh, and, and that's just the way our system is designed, and that's fair. And and I think uh, folks understand that. I believe the, the opportunity that exists now from a de- 
there's a renewed emphasis on domestic spending because of all of the facets you've laid out, uh, COVID primarily. Uh, and then there's a renewed emphasis right now on infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So within all of that, and if, if, if within all of that are opportunities, I believe at the local level, um, targeted opportunities that should be looked at, uh, where, uh, divestment now makes sense where it didn't before because there's an incentive potentially, mm-hmm. um, with all, everything else that's going on from a, from, from, from that perspective. Um, I would also say, you know, not communicating. Mm-hmm. So again, sitting down as as a as a, all of the services being on the same page, uh, and and then having a de- a department wide strategy uh, with with the uh, the right congressional stakeholders is is absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. Last thing I'll say, just from a to your question on challenge, uh, we got to continue to to demonstrate these capabilities. So testing as mm-hmm. well. Uh, and, and how we test and how we demonstrate going forward from a joint perspective, not just a service perspective. And then, and then of course there's a feedback loop there, uh, within all of right. that. Well, and what, um, what was the, uh, what of the programs that you were, that you've been working on, uh, what did you learn about this particular program when it came to working it through the process of getting things acquired, getting things approved? Getting in, getting things tested. Um, what what uh, you know, pick pick one specific thing, one specific project that you particularly like to talk about. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, I, my uh, my field of program management has been primarily in the last few years, uh, anyway, in the air and missile defense mm-hmm. realm. So when Futures Command stood up, um, they part of the each of the modernization priorities for that command and that the Army has all six is aligned with a cross-functional mm-hmm. team. Uh, and so I had a unique opportunity to uh, to be involved in the air and missile defense cross-functional team. And it it is what program managers do anyway, but it what it did is it is it centralized the discussion in a way that just had not been done before. Uh, so when you forcibly put key stakeholders in a room together, a PM's job gets easier. Um, I didn't have to go to the Pentagon and and get on calendars and you know a, align op- other opinions and and work through all of that. It all kind of came to me, right. uh, and so so that that is that is one initiative that I know I've heard we're looking at implementing across the 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 entirety of of the Joint Staff and to filter down. But it's a great lesson lesson learned on how a complete enterprise can sort of come together to deliver a capability. Mm-hmm. So you had your testers, you had your logisticians, you had everybody sort of involved. And and uh, so you you've lived in the army both before and after that particular reform came into effect, and so you noticed a difference Correct, in how yeah. things are how how things are done. I did, I did, um, and uh, it it uh, decisions were made quicker, they were made more efficiently, and I believe uh, because you had all of the heads, so to speak, together on a on a decision point. Uh, it was made with an eye uh, to the bottom mm-hmm. line of the program, right? right? Is it still affordable if X occurs? Uh, and and that is a credit to what you could read about today, which is uh, on the air missile defense side, we have many programs of record that have recently gone through milestone Cs or that are fielded, uh, and that's a production decision, uh, or that are f- currently being fielded. Uh, and uh, and those are all those are all quick wins. Uh, and they're, they're, they're 
great stories for the army, especially an army who struggled with modernization as long as we have. And, and how did you how did you get into acquisitions? That, that's an interesting. Uh, that's not, yes. How so, did acquisitions acquire you? No, I guess would be the question. Though. Right. Right. Um, I was I was a battalion S four mm-hmm. in Korea with the mission to move a battalion off of the peninsula. This is two thousand four off the peninsula, uh, and, and through Hawaii and, and to Fort Lewis. Uh, and one of those, uh, subtasks was to ensure that all of our battalion vehicles were put on a rail and that they were power washed and, 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 uh, sent down the peninsula to the, uh, to the, so was this, was this, this was captain Miller's assignment or was this second Lieutenant Miller's? How long ago was this? This is junior captain Miller's assignment. Okay, go ahead. Um, and, uh, and, and send it down. And so, because when you, when vehicles come in, into port, right, it's, you, you can't transfer soil. And so in, in an effort to, uh, find a contractor who could power wash, uh, an excess of 300 vehicles, uh, I had to, I had to make a lot of phone calls and I found an acquisition contracting major. And that, that was my first introduction to, and, and, and this yeah. ma- this major said to you, son, you sound like you can do this job. How'd, <laughs> how'd, how'd you like to be at the other end of this phone call? Yes. Um, it, it, I actually forgot about it. And then they actually called mm-hmm. me, uh, and, and as I was coming out of company command, uh, <clears throat> and they offered me the opportunity to go get an MBA. Mm-hmm. I was going to go do that anyway. Uh, and I was actually thinking of getting out of the army at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hearkened back to my power washing, uh, you know, example and and uh, decided to give it another try and it's worked out for me. I've loved it. Right. Well, and your experience at the at the War College, right? Interacting with uh, fellow officers, both in the army, but also in the other services and civilians. Um, is there, uh, have you found that there's something about the acquisition process that people don't understand that you feel you have to continue ex- continually explain to them? A lot of it always comes back to how we budget today. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the planning, programming, and budgeting and execution, for for a lot of our team who don't have time inside the building working on POM, mm-hmm. uh, you'll hear a lot of folks just say POM. Um, it it it's kind of a wake up call to see how how the budgeting system currently works. Uh, and so, I would say I, I've spent a lot of time this year <laughs> breaking down. Uh, you know, some, what that means for fiscal years. And, and sometimes it's hard to explain right. why. And, yeah. and, and how many, how many people have been surprised when you told them what POM stands for? Are they quite a few? They know that's POM. Yeah. So, and and yeah. so remind, remind the right. audience, it's the program. Program objective, object, uh, objective memorandum. memorandum right? So, and right. this is for, yes. for every weapon system uh, in every, or every budget. That, item. that is correct. That is correct, and and these budget items, uh, some of them have have individual budget numbers. Uh, you know, as a weapon system, mm-hmm. some of them, like the Bradley Fighting Vehicle, will have more than more than one. Uh, and then you get because you get into the you get into the concept of affordability, how you're building that into your palm uh, over long, you know, over over time. You get into different variants and and uh, um, how you classify the dollars. Uh, matters. Mm-hmm. It's a sustainment program. It's a modernization program. What you know? What are we talking right. about? So yes, those are. It, it, it's a it's a whole different world, a world within the world, right? And I know that everybody in every branch 
in the army feels like, right, I'm the only person who understands what I do and nobody else understands it. But the, yeah, but I don't know if yeah. everybody else takes the same, uh, I don't takes the same heat that acquisitions does because everybody has a frustration story about a piece of equipment. So program managers, exactly. They, they'll never have, um, enough money. Mm -hmm. They'll never have enough mm -hmm. time, right? It's one, of, it's one or the other. Um, and, and I spent a lot of time defending, uh, a budget more so I, I would not call myself a, a budget expert, but I do understand what, uh, what I'm handed and, and justifying that and measuring how that's going to deliver performance, uh, is a craft in itself. Right. And what will you be doing to carry on that craft after, uh, assuming we're recording this at the end of April and uh, I'm looking at you, you seem happy enough, which sure. suggests that you're, you're going to successfully <laughs> conclude your year at the U S army war college. Where are you going? I think so. Yes. So I'm heading uh, back where I came from, back to Redstone mm -hmm. Arsenal, and I'm going to be the executive officer uh, to the three-star director for the Rapid Capabilities and Critical Technologies Office, Interesting. which is the Army's rapid capabilities, right? So it's the Army's prototyping uh, element mm -hmm. for newer technologies uh, that works with Futures Command and works with the Army Secretariat. And so this is probably going to be related to that call for better long-range fires, long-range precision fires for the Army? That's part of what mm -hmm. we do, yeah. yes, I, I would say right. so, uh, as well as other things, yes. Well, um, as well as other things, I hope that you've enjoyed your your year at, uh, at, at Carlisle, even though this has been a rel relatively unusual year. Um, but uh, uh, you know, I hope you'll you know, take it back with you, uh, what you've, what you've learned here, but thank you for sharing your expertise with your fellow soldiers, sailors, airmen, and, uh, civilians while you're here at the war college. And thanks for being with us today to talk about your work on a better peace. Thanks, Ron. Thanks you for having Adam. me. And thanks to all of you for listening in. Please send us your comments on this program and all the programs and send us your suggestions for future programs. Please subscribe to A Better Peace if you haven't already and you know you should. And after you have subscribed to A Better Peace on the podcatcher of your choice, please rate and review this podcast because that's how other people can find us too. We're always interested in growing this community and carrying on further conversations. This conversation is over, but there will be more. So tune in next time, and until next time, from the War Room, I'm Ron Granary. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.